You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. It's tough. I mean, the, the gold stock climate is as bad as I've seen it, um, but I ain't selling. <laughs> you know, I ain't selling. And in fact, I'm moving around and using maybe selling some of the things that haven't been hit quite as bad to buy some of the real bargains that I see. I mean, the bargains out here are just stunning. And of course, you know, it doesn't it doesn't feel good to buy in these kinds of conditions. But boy, you know, this history says that if you do buy in these kind of conditions, you can be very well rewarded for it. Welcome back to Mining Stock Education. I'm your host, Bill Powers, speaking today with Larry Lapard from Equity Management Associates. Website is ema2.com. Larry, welcome back onto the show. And I've received probably four emails in the last month or so requesting an update from you on your take on gold stocks. You manage a gold stock <laughs> fund. Just jump right into it. Yeah, sure. Well, look, it's it's been absolutely horrible. And everyone who's in this category probably, you know, feels pretty beaten up and, and they're kind of wondering if they're wrong for being in this category. Um, you know, even I, who am, uh, you know, died in the wool bull on this stuff, it, at times it gets annoying to me too. I mean, this reminds me very much of the 2015 period uh, before the bull market started in 2016, and then, and also a little bit the 2017 period where we had kind of a an interregnum before the next one got going. And so, you know, to reprise everything, as we all know, we were kind of stuck at 1365. We took off in 18, 19, 20, went up to 2000. The gold stocks went crazy. You know, my fund went up 97%, 122% back to back years. And then we peaked in kind of late, in mid to late 2000. And then, you know, 2021 and 2022, uh, and now halfway through, a little over halfway through 2023, with this Fed, this rapid Fed hiking cycle has just put the kibosh on all of these stocks. And the stocks more than the metal, as you and I discussed pre, pre when we got going, you know, it's, it's impressive to me and, and, and a bullish factor to me that in spite of what is really the tightest, you know, money in a long time, and one of the tightest money tightening campaigns, or one of the most aggressive, I should say, money tightening campaigns since Paul Volcker was around. You know, like gold is kind of hanging around the rim. You know, at nineteen fifteen, sometimes nineteen hundred, but you know, I, I think it was nineteen fifty last time I looked. You know, which is within spitting distance of the all-time high, which is either twenty fifty or seventy. I think it depends on if you're closing or inner day, but. Um, you know, it's only down four percent, and this is this is when interest rates have gone from almost zero to you know five and change. So, um, you know, that tells me something. I mean, that the market for gold is saying, you know, we know what's coming, and and we're not backing off. And the related, and I know probably most of your listeners aren't as involved with this, but I'm also involved with Bitcoin, and I consider it to be another you know sound money asset that is a a good canary uh, about monetary conditions and. You know, Bitcoin at the low was at fifteen thousand, and now it's up near twenty nine thirty, and so it's up eighty odd percent this year. I mean, you know, how is that happening in the context of much higher interest rates? I mean, you get five percent on a one year Treasury. You know, why would you need these sound money assets? And so, so beneath the surface, I think we see that you know the the market for sound money assets, gold, silver, and Bitcoin, is kind of hanging in there if not actually going up a bit and Bitcoin, part of the Bitcoin bump was due to the FTX collapse, which put it down to 15,000. But, but anyway, long story short, these things are, you know, even gold is up 8% year, year to date in 2023. Um, but it's the gold stocks that obviously have, have done shitty 
you know, and are, are kind of down off the peak. I'd say 50, depends on whether you're in the majors, the minors, I mean, some of the juniors are down 70%. Uh, a lot of things are down 40, 50% from the peak in 2021. And and the reason for that, I think, is that basically, you know, Toronto and, and, and the world in general, and this is in my Q2 letter, which is just put out, you can get it on my website, the world in general is actually predicting gold stocks to be flat to down over the next five years, or I'm sorry, gold prices, gold metal prices to be flat to down over the next 10, five years. And and if you, if you believe that, and then you also notice that the cost of mining is going up, and that's another change that really did occur in the last year or so, the last couple of years. I mean, there was a time in, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, you know, ASICs and the average cost of pulling outside of the ground was not increasing very rapidly because we didn't have a lot of inflation. Um, but of course, inflation came along and broke out in 2020, and ASICs have been going up 15% a year. And so if you look at a gold stock, I mean, what it really is, is it's the price of the metal you sell is against the cost of pulling it out of the ground. And the world and the market are saying they think the price of the metal is going to be flat to down. And we all know the cost of pulling out of the ground is going up 15% a year. And so even though today, you know, at a 1900 gold price with an average industry ASIC of 1200, that's a $700 margin, which is pretty damn respectable by, you know, any measure. I think people are afraid that that'll get compressed because the 1200 will become 13 and 14 and 15 and then the 17 won't go up. And so people believe that margins will get compressed and therefore they don't want to pay big multiples for gold stocks. And, you know, in my opinion, gold stocks have never been cheaper. They're silly cheap, particularly when you consider what's likely to happen to the metal. And that's kind of a macro thing that I don't, you know, I'm not sure that's what your audience is interested in. But my brief view on macro is that they cannot continue to tighten the money supply without creating a, a depression-like event, uh, a 1929, 1930, 1931 depression-like event. And so that the Fed will have to pivot and they will pivot um, and or continue to bring in other programs that are effectively pivots. Like the, you know, the things, things started breaking with a Silicon Valley bank breaking and they bought in the, the BTFP, the bank term funding program. And, and there'll be more of those. And that's, that's really just money printing. Um, the Fed balance sheet went up massively. They gave back two thirds of what they tightened when that happened. Now they're back down to where they were before that. But, but the point is, you know, the Fed's got a real problem because they've got all these short maturity notes rolling over, and they're rolling over at five percent, not you know fifty basis points. And so, you know, one of the best charts out there, macro charts out there, in my opinion, is the chart of U.S. federal government interest expense, and it really is just kind of a hockey stick curve going straight north and we're now running at you know 900 billion a year and the deficits are growing again and you know the 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 US you know macro picture we're starting to look like a third world country you know wherein we you know our deficits grow we sell debt to cover those deficits you know there are less buyers of the debt so the interest rate goes up interest rate goes up makes the interest cost go up interest cost going up makes the deficit grow and you can see where we're going here. This is a, you know, either you call it a doom loop or a vicious circle. And, um, you know, historically, I mean, this hasn't happened in a reserve currency in a long, long time, if ever, really. I mean, um, but historically, when countries have this kind of a pattern of spending more than they're bringing in and, um, uh, you know, monetizing it, ultimately monetizing it. Right now, we're not monetizing it, but we'll have to. Um, you know, the, the currency gets devalued in, in real terms and the things it'll devalue against are hard assets that can't be printed. The most notable one's gold, second one's silver, third one's real estate, fourth one's Bitcoin. So, um, you know, Bitcoin's a hard asset in the sense it's a hard ledger. 
Uh, it's obviously not something you can touch and feel the way the other items are, but but it's an immutable ledger with digital scarcity that cannot be expanded. And so therefore, some part of the world is beginning to think it's an alternative hard asset. So, you know, it's it's tough. I mean, the, the gold stock climate is as bad as I've seen it, um, but I ain't selling. <laughs> you know, I ain't selling. And in fact, I'm moving around and using maybe selling some of the things that haven't been hit quite as bad to buy some of the real bargains that I see. I mean, the bargains out here are just stunning. And of course, you know, it doesn't it doesn't feel good to buy in these kinds of conditions. But boy, you know, his, history says that if you do buy in these kind of conditions, you can be very well rewarded for it. I mean, my again, in my quarterly report, there's a chart that shows, you know, what, what these conditions are very similar to 2000, 2001, 2002, which, you know, led to a multi-year bull market or to 2015, 2016, which also led to a multi-year bear market or bull market, which we're still kind of in, but we're having, a you know, an interim correction here. You know, it's, I, I think that those of us who believe in sound money and believe that the government is trapped and will have to print money mathematically, we believe that, um, you know, to, to, it's, it's a nice, the nice thing about our position is that time is on our side. In other words, I think the other side is playing a losing hand. And I think, I think there's, you know, it, it won't be long in my opinion. And I think less than, less than a year and a half and probably less than six months when gold breaks out and goes through 2050 or seven, you know, 2070, and it'll squirt up to 2,500 or 3,000, and then it'll be game on. And everyone who was thinking, oh, you know, the price of gold is going down. I mean, this will be a new all-time high. A lot of algorithms will get triggered. A lot of people will say, oh, I get it. I mean, what's going on right now, Bill, I think, is that a lot of people still believe, I mean, you have to recall that we got here by having 40 years of deflation from 1980 to 2020. And so we're three years past 2020. We had a big inflationary spike. And the narrative from the Fed and, you know, Wall Street and the powers that be is, well, we'll get inflation under control. We're going to go back to that deflationary climate that we had before. And I just don't believe that. I don't think that we will. It's not that simple. I mean, someday we will possibly go back to that climate. But we, we, we've got a lot of correcting to do before we get back to that climate because of the math associated with the government situation. The, the way we could lose, and I've said this in other interviews, the way we could lose would be if the government suddenly, and people laugh when I say this because the odds are quite low, obviously, but if the government got suddenly got incredibly responsible, chopped the military budget, stopped sending money to the Ukraine, you know, means-tested Social Security, means-tested Medicare, raised taxes, and balanced the budget, well, that would be bad for us, for those of us who are betting out of sound money. That would be bad. Those kinds of steps would clearly throw a gear in the works, and, you know, gold wouldn't go to the 5,000 that I think it's clearly going to. But um, I don't see evidence of that happening. I mean, this debt ceiling debate was really amusing to me. They, you know, one, they didn't even set a new debt ceiling. They just said it's unlimited until early 2025. And then two, the Republicans, the tough guy Republicans said, yeah, we demand a cap for three years or two years on 7% of the spending. Well, you know, good God, guys, what about the other 93%? You know, So so I'll leave it there. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a dreadful climate for these stocks. On the other hand, if you have capital commit, to commit to them, um, I think it's nothing but better days ahead. I've seen a bunch of these cycles. It feels as bad as it's ever felt. And I also know that typically when I feel this bad, it means we're pretty close to the end of, of, the, of the drawdown. So 
Larry, I've struggled uh, so much with the, the cycles of even the seven and a half years that I've been in this sector to where yeah. you have the macro picture, which you do, and you get in early, but then you you kick yourself saying, am I wrong because I was so early in a non-cash flowing asset that nobody wants to buy right now? Cool. Right? We may have talked about this before, but anything else you could share? Because I know a lot of people are at well, that place. Look, I mean, it, it, you know, it obviously, I mean, they're, 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 let's talk about miners and let's talk about minor buckets. Okay. And let's talk about what were the most volatile. I mean, the real volatile tip of the spear are the drill stories. I mean, there, there are two kinds of, I mean, I guess it's an important distinction to make. When you're looking at the mining stocks, gold mining stocks, you have gold mining stocks that have positive cash flow and you have gold mining stocks that don't have positive cash That's, that's kind of item one people should consider when they're looking at these companies. Is this company generating profits and cash flow? Because if it's not, you know, when will they and or how can they how much money do they have to raise to dilute you to get to that point? And so, you know, the nice thing about the positive cash flow miners is that while they may not be growing a lot, while their profits may not be expanding, because you know, the gold price isn't over twenty one hundred yet, you know, they're they're not at risk in most cases, and depending upon how levered they are, but most of them have gotten their leverage pretty under control. They're not at risk of dying or going out of business. I mean, unless gold price stays flat and they have huge cost inflation for five years, then they'll be at risk. I mean, you know, as, as the cost of mining goes up, but seven hundred dollar margin, that'll that's good. You're good at seven hundred. But you start there, and 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 you know, you don't really need, in my opinion, you know, you, we've got big producers that are in potential five baggers, ten baggers. I mean, I did the numbers on First Majestic the other day. If I make some, you know, assumptions about where silver is going and what they're going to do with their production, I mean that's an easy five bagger, you know. And so, so you know, and that's a big positive cash flow company. So you don't need to, in my opinion, you know, be down, you know, playing around with the drill story, you know, speculative stuff. Now, look, some of those could be twenty baggers, but but some of them are going to go to zero, you know, if this thing doesn't turn soon. So, um, you know, you kind of got you got a risk reward spectrum. And you got to figure out where you want to be on that risk reward spectrum as regards what stocks you want to own. Um, but the good news is, as I say, you can buy some of these producers, you know, that are net cash flow positive, that you know um, will still be very, very good rates of return. You know, and I've got a lot of producers that I like, and and some of them have growth too. I mean, you know, one that I love, a big position for me is Argonaut, right? I mean, it's you know they just got their new mine going. You know, they've got cash flow out of their legacy assets. Some of them had trouble down in Mexico. I think they'll get those fixed. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, there there are companies, there are producers that have growth that that I, you know, that I really like. I mean, Eris Mining is another one. Um, you know, Silver Corp is another one. Um, you know, it's in China and some people don't like that. It's stunning how cheap that stock is. I mean, it's just stunning. You know, it assumes the Communist Party is going to take it over tomorrow, which I don't think they will. Um, you know, Silvercrest is another producer that I really like, you know, Endeavor Silver, I love, um, and these are all producers with, you know, with cash flow today, you know, Endeavor Mining, you know, K92 is a, is a beautiful story. It's not cheap, but it's a beautiful story. Um, Victoria Gold is. And you're all over the world with jurisdictions naming those names. We should. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, in fact, ironically, I actually think Africa is not such a bad place. A lot of people shit on Africa. I tend to be a little more negative on some of the South American jurisdictions. I mean, I kind of, you know, Peru and Argentina have kind of given me the willies a little bit. Even Mexico. Oh, you're in Colombia, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, actually, I think Colombia is okay. I, I, I like Colombia. I don't like Ecuador. Um, and I'm not big on Bolivia either. But I, um, 
Uh, and, Mex- and Mexico's kind of given me some a little bit of agita. I mean, I'm a little concerned about some of those things I see taking place in Mexico. I mean, and I think, by the way, when we have the next bull market in this stuff, you know, I think the safe jurisdiction stocks are going to really command a premium on on a multiple basis. I mean, and, you know, and as Rick Rule says, there is no safe jurisdiction because, you know, they can tax the shit out of Australia and Canada and the U.S. as well. But, you know, those are the three obvious safe jurisdiction places where at least there is some sense of a rule of law. Uh, uh, what question came in? Uh, someone wanted me to ask you about Lion One and the tradable shares. What's your perspective on this and tradable shares in general? Sorry, warrants, tradable warrants. I, look, I love tradable warrants. Um, I, personally, I, um, I'm i a big bull on Lion One. We own a big position of it. I like the story. I think it's a world-class asset. Uh, they're close to having real production. Um, the beautiful thing about any company, once it gets real production going, is that you're suddenly your outs, your external financing needs really decrease, and so you're not going to be diluted. And to me, you know, Lion One is 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 pattern recognition. It's a it's a ring of fire deposit. It's extremely high grade. They're trying to sort it out and, and figure it out, um, and and all those things are hard to figure out. But once you do, they can be beautiful mines. I mean, I remember you know Lion One is in the early days, and it's very similar to where K92 was in the early days. A lot of people. We're very suspicious of, of K92 in the early days, and it's turned into a beautiful mine. And I, I tend to believe that Lion One will do the same thing. So I'm, I'm very bullish on it. I mean, you've got what I think is a very big deposit. It's extremely high grade. I think you've got decent managers now, a you know, management team there. And, you know, the valuation is quite modest for what it is. And, and you're, you're on the cusp of positive cash flow. So, so to me, it, it it ticks a lot of very good boxes. And I think that jurisdiction is quite safe too. So some developers, uh, Aridine with Mongolia Mining, they formed a JV, Osisco Mining and Goldfields also on the Windfall Project. Uh, what's your thoughts on advancing? Yeah, so let's, let's go into those. Um, you know, to be honest with you, in both of those cases, I was bullish on both of those stocks and I still kind of am. But a little bit of the bloom came off the rose, particularly uh, in a Cisco. I used to just think it was a no-brainer because I thought they were going to be able to debt finance it. And I think what he did was he decided, no, nah, I want to just play it safe and make sure I get it financed. I'm going to do a JV. And to me, what that did is it, it that brought down the multiple that we're likely to earn on it as a result of the dilution of the JV. So is it lazy or wise? Well, yeah, unclear. I mean, if the bull market, if the bear market goes on for another two years, it'll be wise. You know, if 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 we turn around right now, you know, and he could have financed it with debt um, based on this turnaround, then then it's lazy. You know, then he then he took the he took the easy way out and diluted the return that we're going to get. So so I had a pretty sizable position in the Cisco, and I took it down a lot. I had a meeting. I had an average position in Erdean, and I didn't like what they did. I didn't like the partnering with the local. I mean, it's probably the smart thing for them to do. But to me, again, when I ran the numbers, it, the returns to the shareholders didn't, you know, I'm like, nope, that's not why I'm buying these things. I'm buying them to have more upside leverage. And so I actually sold Ordain um, when that when that event occurred. Um, you know, I want companies and managers that think like owners and shareholders and are, you know, that aren't just doing what's expedient to raise more money or sell off pieces of things to make sure they're successful. I want things that are going to provide real operating leverage, you know, when the price of the metals goes higher and, you know, and that's why I'm willing to, I'm willing to swing for the fences. I, I think companies should use debt um, to build some of these projects. And I know that adds risk, 
But, you know, my view is if something's not at least a two or a three bagger, you know, on, on conservative assumptions, I'm not interested. Um, and because my experience has been that when things do work, they tend to become, you know, five, 10 baggers, 15 baggers. And that, you know, if you think about that, that makes up for a lot of mistakes. And, and you know, as we all know, we all make mistakes. I mean, you, you know, we all buy companies. They don't do what they said they were going to do. It doesn't work out the way they thought it would work out and it becomes a zero. Um, you know, and they're, they're, they're trouble, you know, their troubles, their problems. I mean, I'm, like I told you, recall, I'm living through one right now, Rise, is having an extremely hard time getting a permit. Um, and a lot of people think it's completely dead. I don't, it's not, the story's not over yet. Um, you know, there's a, there's a legal angle here and there's, you know, there's some others, there's some other levers that we can pull on here. Um, but we could be dead. I mean, we could, you know. But our, you knew that was a binary play when you we, got we knew, we, we knew it was a binary permit play. And we've got a we've got a very large group of enviros in an area who you know attack the, the mine even though it doesn't you know cause any environmental damage whatsoever, um, you know they've they've attacked it. The problem, the thing they're going to have to deal with is the law. The law actually says that if it was a prior use mine that you can continue to do it, and they, the law also says that if you, unless you're disturbing you know presenting clear and present danger to people or environment. You've got a right to mine, and so um, you know the county might have, you know, the, the, the environmentalists might have bended the county's ear to the point where the you know, the county says, "Hey, we we don't want your mine," and our response will be, "Fine, we'll see you in federal court, and you, you're taking our property, and our property is worth a billion dollars." So, okay, county, what do you want to do? You want to give us the permit, or you want to write us a check for a billion dollars? I'm not saying we're going to win that case, but I think we could. I think I think our legal our legal position is actually quite strong. And we've got twenty million invested at a minimum. I'm pretty sure we get our money back. But, but the point is that you know um, these are the risks we take, right? I mean, if this mine were operating, the market cap is five million dollars today. If this mine were operating, it would be worth a billion dollars, because when it was last operating, it was producing 120,000 ounces of high grade, you know, with a with a head grade in the you know in the low twenties per ounce. So, and we're quite sure there's all that you know gold still there. So very speculative situation and it could probably go to zero i mean there's no doubt that you know if if we're not able to press forward on these fronts we're working on it will go to zero but you know if it doesn't go to zero it's it's not going to be you know two extra money it's going to be 20 or 30 extra money larry so many mine builds have failed in the gold sector in the last two two and a half years do you think that even after the gold price turns and the gold sector gets some love again is it going to take a few successful builds before investors begin to expect success. Yeah, I think it is. It's going to take a few successful builds. It's going to take a few, you know, successful drill stories that really, you know, trade incredibly well. I mean, more than just newfound and, you know, the the most recent flavor snowline, snowline, which I'm I'm not I'm not a I'm not a fan. I mean, I just I think it's way ahead of itself in terms of what they've done and what they've proven. Um, I've I've gotten into people with it on, on that subject on Twitter, but. Um, but yeah, it's going to take some some things working. Um, but you know, higher prices make things work. You know, uh, they they make things work extremely well. And I and and you know, you said builds have failed. I mean, yes, they've failed in the sense that they've taken longer and cost more, which is kind of par for the course. And that's what when we're all modeling these stocks and which ones to buy, you know, we don't we never take the face assumptions as being what will really happen. I mean, we we take. But I mean, pure gold just failed, yeah. right? It's like yeah, yeah. Well, that one in the water. <laughs> yeah, no, that I I didn't I never believed in that one. So that one, yeah, that one completely failed. And yeah, there've been others that have. Yeah, there. I mean, um, 
But again, you know, the one thing that's a positive about mining stocks, I mentioned this in my letter too, you know, you think of, you think of your average company, your average company has to do something, generate profits and, you know, the profit or revenues have to be bigger than expenses to make a profit. Think about a mining company is, and that's true. That's partly true of a mining company. The other thing about a mining company is it's actually an asset sitting there. In other words, and, and that doesn't go away. So let's just hypothetically, let's say you have a company that has a proven and probable reserve, you know, really, really well drilled out and it's a million ounces. Well, you know, at today's metals prices, that's $1.9 billion of gold in the ground. Okay, $1.9 billion. If a, and, and, you know, often a deposit's a million, you, you know, you think, well, if we drilled a bit more, it could be two or three. So so when you're looking at a mining, and, 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 and by the way, Bill, as you know, we can go out there, I can go out there and show you a handful of companies that have that much gold and the market cap is between 10 and $40 million. Okay, now, you know, obviously the, 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 the issue is, you know, how do you get a permit? How long does it take? What's the capex? What, what are the risks, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, the point is that, you know, you've got things that are selling for, you know, $5 an ounce in the ground, you know, or $10 an ounce in the ground or $15 an ounce in the ground. And that ounce is worth $1,900 when it comes out of the ground. And, and you know, that the um, there, there's, a, there's a bottom point, at which, I mean, that deposit's not going away. I mean, it, it does disappear. You know, and so so even you know even things that where the you know one management team messes it up, maybe another management team comes in, sees it, reconstructs it, thinks about a different way of looking at it, you know, has the credibility to raise the capital and sorts it out. And so so there's a you know there's kind of a scavenger hunt that can be done on some of these known deposits. And this is why these drill stories always, you know, kind of I find them humorous. I mean, people are paying huge numbers for potential ounces. When you could actually go out there and look at some of these broken drill stories, you know, and and you're you're paying a fraction of the ounces that they they knowingly have. I mean, a good example of that is Cabral, you know, which I'm a big holder and I believe very much in. I mean, they got a lot of gold there. Yeah, right now it's 25 million Canadian. So what is that? 18 US, you know. And I mean, there's millions of ounces there, millions. And there's and some of it's actually pretty accessible at the surface and can be turned into cash flow quite quickly. So. You know, th- there are there are situations that represent deep value. And as I say, I mean, you know, the, the gold Cabral is found. It's not going away. It's there. You know, the trick the trick is liberating it, you know, getting a business plan to liberate it. And and that's the whole that's the that's the whole thing that, you know, that's about that's the venture capital piece of the mining industry. You know, can you bring new things on stream efficiently, on time, and do they provide enough, you know, margin? To you know, su- such that you make the. I mean, my view is to do a development story. You need to have. You need to be penciling in on your conservative assumption. Once you've discounted what management told told you, you need to be looking at making a five extra money. You know, because you just need to be. And, and I've kind of done that based on you know one or two of them won't work, so that's a minus one. You know, so you know you do five at a dollar, and so you lose two dollars, and you got the other three, and then one of them will be a two x, and then the other two will be five x's, and so. You know, you put five million to work, and what, what did you get? Twelve. I mean, it's you know, and, and over some period of time, I mean, your IRRs, it, you know, you'll be up in the thirties, forties. It's that's a good that's a good set of investments. I mean, that that'll work. You know. Well, Larry, I think we've covered it uh, just for this update. I know investors wanted to hear from you. I think wanted to be yeah. encouraged and just maybe uh, ask somebody associated. Yeah, I would with just I would just say to everybody who's in this area, you're feeling pain. I'm feeling pain too. I've been here before. It's like. You know, you, the older you get, the more of these things you see, the more you kind of realize, you know, been there, done that. 
Uh, I talk to old hands in the business in Canada all the time. They say they've never seen it so bad, but they also, you know, they also say, and by the way, that's why when it turns, it's going to be fierce and we're going to make a ton of money here. And I think they're right. And um, we're just, we're all just waiting for that turn. And, you know, it's coming. I mean, this BRICS currency thing might add up to something. I don't know. I have no idea, but it, it might add up to something. I mean, there's, you know, gold's hanging in there and uh, it does, it's not going to take much. When we get the next leg going, um, you know, these things are going to, it's going to look completely different. And so you'd much rather be buying now than buying halfway up the next leg. Um, because, you know, I, I mean, remember 2015, 16, I mean, that, it, it, you know, early 2016, things went up 100% in six months. That could happen here. I mean, I, I actually sincerely believe that might, that, that probably will happen. Larry, I had like three 10 baggers. That's what got me hooked on this sector. That was exactly. my first stocks when I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. That's the point. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a difficult sector because it's so feast or famine. Yeah. It's, it's a very difficult sector as a result of that. And, you know, I mean, as Rick Rule says, I mean, you know, if, if you're not used to being down 50%, then you shouldn't be playing because that's, you know, you got to be down 50% understand what you got, know that you're right and double down because when it turns, it's going to go up 300%. You know, and that's, that's just, that's the nature of this kind of a, you know, this kind of a financial bet. So, um, but I would say to everybody, hang in there. The math is inexorable. They can't, they can't not print. And when they do print, gold will go higher. And, um, you know, it's, it's pretty straightforward. And they're going to, you know, just like, remember, I mean, it's, it's funny. Everyone, everyone believes the Fed, people still believe the Fed and everything, you know, inflation's transitory. No, it's not. You know, and, 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 and they will, by the way, they will turn on a dime. You know, they'll be able, they'll, they'll look at the, they got a 3% print on the headline inflation number last month and they'll, you know, say, Hey, three, it's getting close to two. We can define the targets up and, you know, bang, we need to change our policy and they will. And this stuff will go berserk, you know, and that's, I mean, that, that's kind of how I see it playing. Now, whether that's next month or in six months, I'm not sure, but you know, I'm not selling <laughs> and I don't, I think anybody who's in this area. I wouldn't advise you sell either. I mean, I think, you know, if you want to lighten up on this area, there'll be a time to do that. It'll probably be a year and a half from now when everything's up a lot. And then try to remember, you know, you know, not to be too big a pig and to, you know, to actually take some profits. So good advice. Well, Larry, thank you for this update today. Okay, hey, thanks, Bill. Enjoy talking to you. Take care. We'll see you. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts it might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly.
the mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident. And just do your work as best you can. Do your very best. But don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents. But it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.